This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Oh, not bad, mate. How's things with yourself? Good weekend. Grimsby winning, Wednesday winning. So yeah, sure big win, big big win for the Mighty Mariners uh, away at Chesterfield, and I think my favourite part about it was uh, it took me forty five minutes to get home rather than the usual <laughs> hour and a half for a home game, or much worse. Usually, I've got to go to Weymouth next weekend, so that's going to be fun. That's a Friday to Sunday job, so leave Friday midday. I'll come back sometime Sunday afternoon to go to Weymouth away. Um, but yeah, big win for them four one away at Chesterfield. So that that was a, a really good. Afternoon spent at the Technique Stadium. How about you? Good weekend. Yeah, we had a rare, rare Sunday off. Wednesday got a last-minute winner on Saturday, so yeah, I've had worse weekends, mate. Good, good. Plenty for us to chat about as well in the Championship. As always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. As always, on the Monday pod, we'll be breaking down all the key talking points from another busy weekend of Championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm going to start that Championship roundup at Blackpool as they were beaten 4-1 by Nottingham Forest in the early kickoff on Saturday. Steve Cooper's men moving originally up to fifth place in the, in the Championship table, but results elsewhere means they are just outside it now. Um, but making light work of a very stubborn Blackpool side. In fact, inflicting their first home defeat at Bloomfield Road since the turn of the year. The last defeat was against Middlesbrough on the 29th of December. And boy, did they make light work of Neil Critchley's side, George. Big win for Forrest, as I say. Um, Brennan Johnson, the, the star man, once again. We could just replay like many, many dialogues we've had over Forrest since Steve Cooper came in. Brilliant performance from him. Superb brace. He's just so clinical and composed in front of goal for someone so young. And I think that's the that's his USP. You know, there's a lot of people that can carry the ball well and that are good dribblers, and he's a very good ball carrier. He's not the most skillful player in the world, but he carries the ball really well. But when he gets in front of goal, he's got a range of finishing. I think we saw that. The first one, a drilled half volley into the far corner. And then the second one, a lovely little dink over uh, Grimshaw to, to put Forrest freeing up at the time. So... He's been fantastic. A great performance from him. And the squad just looks stronger and stronger. Yes, they're missing Max Lowe and uh, Steve Cook at the minute. But Figaro has come in into the heart of that defence. Hasn't put a foot wrong. Jack Colback's shown his versatility again, moving to left wing back, and they've not really lost anything there. And then Surridge comes off the bench, scores. Lewis Graben back off the bench and back from injury as well. This Forest team is only going from strength to strength and getting stronger as the playoff dream catches fire. You're absolutely right. You really are. I watched this game in its entirety on Saturday lunchtime and I, I was mightily impressed by Nottingham Forest because ahead of it, I thought this is one of these games where Forest could potentially slip up. Blackpool have been capable of producing a few shocks this season, obviously taking four points off Fulham. They've beaten Sheffield United. They've won at Middlesbrough. And Blackpool, as you said there, they, they've been very, very good at home since the turn of the year. But Forest, they turned up and my word, they took the game to Blackpool from the very first whistle and they, they looked threatening even before Zink and Argyle opened the scoring. And from that moment onwards, they just dominated proceedings, were clinical when the chances came. And Brennan Johnson, yet again, was the architect of it all. And 
I'm just running out of superlatives to describe this Nottingham Forest team at the moment because they're playing with such a swagger and such confidence just through the team and through the club as well. And the, the atmosphere in the city of Nottingham right now must be off the scale because they've they've not had anything like this for so long, a football club of its size. And I think for me now, obviously you said there, they temporarily went up into the top six, dropped back out again after the three o'clock kickoffs. But they've got the games in hand on those above them. And I think for me now, even though this playoff race remains incredibly tight, very condensed, and it remains very hard to predict who will get those four spots. Personally, I think Forrester, out of all the teams that are, are going for these four places, are the team to to watch out for the very most because they've just got so much about them where they're reasonably solid defensively. They're playing brilliant football. Brennan Johnson, obviously, is the individual star catching all the headlines, but collectively, they're just playing so, so well and the fans are loving it. And I think the thing with me, what Forrest has impressed me most is, is that old cliche where some sometimes people say that a cup run can get in the way and can distract things. I think the cup run has spurred Forrest on. Albeit, yeah, they've still got games in hand. They could still slip up. It could still fall away from them. But I just don't see it happening at the minute. I think that cup run has galvanised them. And it's, say they do get into the top six, it's them and Middlesbrough, say Middlesbrough get there as well, they're obviously contended with more games, having had longer FA Cup runs than the rest. But Forest just don't seem to be showing any signs of slowing down. They're going up through the gears. They're getting better and better. And let's be honest, Steve Cooper has dragged them up 17 positions since he took charge. I think it's something like 16 wins in his first 29 league games in, at the helm. It's just ridiculous numbers. Had, had he been in there at the start of the season, who knows where Forest could be right now. So it's it's proven to be a really remarkable story, the way that they've transformed from where they were at the, the beginning of September to where they are now. And one point outside the playoffs, they've still got nine games left. I think you would be very, very foolish and very brave to say they're not going to get in the top six. Yeah, the momentum's carried through, hasn't it, with that FA oh, Cup run and, and the run they've been on. And it will be interesting to see, because if you were going to say one thing that could cost Forrest, it's durability. As you say, they've been on this run for so long. Um, they've used, by and large, the same sort of pool of 13, 14 players, um, especially with two of them, of the key starters that I just named in, in Cook and Lowe, out as well. I think that you can't underestimate the impact of Graben coming back and Surridge as well being fit and off the bench and scoring because Keenan Davis has played a lot of football recently. Um, Brennan Johnson has played a lot of football, Zinconagel has, so... It'll be interesting to see if, as the player, obviously they're going to put the best team out while they're getting the post, but if they can get a bit of a foothold in there, it'll be interesting to see if Cooper starts to rotate a little bit just to try and keep things fresh because you don't want them to have peaked a little bit too soon and then it tail off as they get into the post. Because I agree with you, I think they'll finish in the top six. That's probably the only thing for me that I think could be a con, not a concern, but if you're nitpicking, you're like, where could it go wrong playing devil's advocate? I think it would be that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And like you said, it's that point of where does a time come where Steve Cooper might think, can I tweak things, can I just maybe ease off the gas a little bit? Because obviously those games in hand that they've got, if they have a good run, say leading up to the last two or three games of the season or whatever, and a playoff spot is somehow secured, even though it looks very tight and I still think it will go down to probably the last couple of weeks, there is a chance there to just add a little bit of freshness, rest those key figures like your Johnsons, your Zinkin' Argles, etc., for, for two playoff semi-finals, but 
I just think the way that he's gone in there and galvanised not just the team, but the whole club and everybody, the city, everything, it's just a remarkable achievement. And Steve Cooper, for me, he's proven this season that he is one hell of a manager at this level. We knew it already at Swansea. We saw what he did. But Nottingham Forest, they landed a real prize gem going with him. And we said at the time, didn't we, that we'd have, he'd have an impact there. I don't think we really ever thought it would be just like this because... I'm not going to lie. I've, I have developed a bit of a soft spot for Forest this season. They've kind of become my really. I'm really not mentioned. You'd, you'd never have guessed, would you? Nothing to do with the fact that I've got money on to go up. Nothing, nothing to do with that, honestly. But let's be honest. They are playing such brilliant football. They they went toe to toe with Liverpool. They comfortably dispatched of Leicester. They beat Arsenal. So they've proven that they can play at a higher level. And obviously, cup games are very different to league games. We know that. But they've they've gone out there. They've proven that they can do it. So. You would think, obviously, the championship can throw up a surprise. We know that, but on current form, yeah, I think it's it's one defeat this calendar year in the league so far. I mean, dare I say it, but I think I think Forest are in the best position out of the playoff chasers to go up through the playoffs at the minute. What's we've probably not spoken about or considered as well is of the teams in and around the playoffs. Um, there's no doubt that Steve Cooper's got the most experience of, in the playoffs as well. You think Chris Wilder's obviously got promotion experience, but that wasn't the playoffs. That was automatic promotion. Um, Carlos Corbran, no. Nathan Jones, no. Um, Mark Warburton, no. Although QPR are looking a mile off at the minute. Um, Blackburn, Tony Mowbray, not particularly. Um, not not for a while. One experience of playoff yeah. winning with so Carlos, of, of so, the playoffs. Yeah. Chasers, they've definitely got the man that's certainly most recently had the most experience, albeit he's not quite got over the line, but there's been success, obviously, when they got to the semi-final with Swansea. Next year, got to the final. We'll see how things go. He's going to be third time lucky for him. Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, The other big winners in the playoff chasing pack were Middlesbrough, as they went to Peterborough and ran out 4-0 winners at London London Road. Borough just showing the class and sort of... Eradicating any any worries, certainly in this performance about their away form, because I think you know we spoke to obviously Johnny last week from the Borough breakdown. It very much the concern is is the away form going to trip them up, and you did it did look like that for a little while. But then they won at Birmingham, won at Peterborough in emphatic fashion. Um, Tavernier with the pick of the goals, lovely curling finish into the far corner. Balogun clinical, Coburn poacher's goal, and, and an emphatic finish from Duncan Watmore for the fourth in stoppage time as well. They were just by, by far the better team. I feel like maybe the cup run with Borough was a little bit more of a distraction than for Forest. And I think now that they've kind of got that out of the way, and maybe, again, when you look at the the consistency in Chris Wilder's selection, he's pretty much picked the same nine players since he came into the club. And it's just been which two strikers is he going to play up front? Because that team of Lumley, Dyke Steels, Fry, McNair, um, Bowler, uh Isaiah Jones, Johnson, Tavernier, Crooks has all been consistent. Yes, all right, Neil Taylor's coming at left wing back sometimes instead of Mark Bolo, who's been injured, but it's been the same sort of nine players. So I think playing in the cup as well, I think now it's no surprise to me they've gone out and now we're seeing better Middlesbrough performances away from home in particular. The home form's still been excellent throughout, but this was a, a home performance on the road, if that makes any sort of sense. And I thought they were brilliant. And Certainly them and Forrest are looking the strongest of the of the two, although we seem to pick two different teams every single week. But they are, are looking onimous. Um, and as I say, they've got so many options up front. And Balogun, 
in particular, I think it's come to the fore a little bit more in the last few weeks. It, as a you know, sort of wondered is he a bit more of a wide forward? Can he can he play down that number nine role? But him and uh, him and Connolly seem to be the pick at the minute for Wilder. In fairness, I think they've started the last four or five games. Sparrow's out injured. Josh Coburn coming off the bench. He offers something different. Watmore's industrious. And they're up to fifth in the table now, and I wouldn't expect Borough to drop out the playoffs again between now and the end of the season. No, I think I'd agree with that. I think along with Forest, they are certainly looking like they're the side in the ascendancy to get into those into those top top six places. But I think the thing for me with Middlesbrough is obviously, aside from the Chelsea FA Cup defeat last month, they've now played four away games in a row in the league, which is a tall order for any side at any point in the season. So I think when you consider, obviously, at the beginning of this run, they had a thumping 4-1 defeat to Sheffield United. And that kind of, you kind of looked at that and you thought, oh dear, that is a that is a heavy defeat. Is the away form going to be what's cost going to cost Middlesbrough in the end? But since that, they've taken seven points from nine on the road, three successive clean sheets and avoided a, a big banana skin at Peterborough. Because I, I did have a sneaky feeling that Peterborough, after that win at QPR prior to the international break, were going to come out firing after that. And I did tip them for my shock for the weekend. But Middlesbrough went there and put on a really professional showing and got the job done and showed that they aren't to be messed with in this race for the top six. And like you say, Fuller and Balogun is now beginning to step up. He's got three and four. Coburn's come off the bench and done the damage again. Tavernier with a lovely sweeping goal. Uh, and Duncan Watmore does what Duncan Watmore does. So Chris Wilder has got a vast array of options at the top end of the field, even without Sporar. So, in the sense, like you said, it's that continuity where maybe the FA Cup was a little bit of a distraction, but now that's behind them. They can focus on what is going to be the ultimate goal for Middlesbrough this season. And very similar to Forest, it is a case of what if had Wilder been there earlier. So, I think I think you look at Middlesbrough and Forest very evenly, where they've both obviously put together incredible runs over the last six six months or so to get into the position they're in. And they probably do look like the two now that are the probably the strongestly equipped to get into these into these playoff places. So Borough, like I say, they've turned the screw in the last few weeks since that Sheffield United defeat. They've bounced back brilliantly. Three successive clean sheets on the road. That's not to be sniffed at. That's really impressive. Again, that included, obviously, against an informed Millwall side. Peter Rissai fighting for their lives. Obviously, Birmingham have been a bit hit and miss. But let's be honest, three, three, um, three clean sheets away in the row is really impressive. And for Borough now, you've got to look ahead to their upcoming games. They've got... Back-to-back home games to come. Three of the next four are at home, albeit though Fulham and Huddersfield are two of the next four. And they've got to go to Bournemouth in that sequence. So, big period coming up for Borough. But we've seen what they can do at home. And if they do, if they get wins in those games, you would certainly fancy them to get the job done. Yeah, this won't come as any like major shock or groundbreaking sort of predictions, but I'm officially relegating Peterborough. Um, eight points <laughs> behind with seven games left to play. They're going down, quite simply. They've not yeah, scored enough goals. And they have defended horrifically for 39 games, in which they've conceded 80 goals. That's more than two goals a game. 80 goals in 39 games. It's not enough quality. It's a statistic, isn't it? Not enough quality this season by any means. Grant McCann's come in. Damage is not done with him, but he's not been able to galvanise them either. Um, And they're going down and deserve to. We we did see a little bit of fighting spirit, didn't we, just prior to the international break? And I know it's a cliche and things like that, but... Did the break come at the wrong time and get in the way of that momentum that they'd built? No disrespect, obviously Middlesbrough are a good team. They're flying high towards the top end of the table. But when you're conceding that amount of goals, let's be honest, you, you deserve to go down. You, there's no doubt about it. But like you said a few weeks ago, 
they've not scored the goals that you would have expected this season. So it's just been a case of getting things wrong in both boxes and obviously defensively they've been been absolutely atrocious and it, it is gonna cost them. I would be I would be astounded if they got out of this now, I really would. Yeah, me too. I think they're as good as gone. Another big result in the playoff chasers was for Queen's Park Rangers. They were beating 2-0 at home for Fulham. It's one win in six for the R's now, and they are looking very much the outsiders for the playoff places just about three weeks after I predicted they would get in there. It's been a a pretty disastrous two-month spell, three-month spell for QPR from a couple of points off second spot down to ninth now in the table. And that led to reports on Saturday night that Mark Warburton could be sacked. Reports from the Daily Mail saying that he would be axed. That hasn't happened as of recording at half past seven on Sunday evening. And as I tweeted out last night, I think that would be a pretty ludicrous decision for me. Yes, there's been a massive drop-off in form. um, But I just think that it's very short-sighted. I think the fact that they've been in the playoffs all season shows they can be competitive. But key injuries at the wrong time. Issues with the style of play a little bit. I think the players have probably got a bit tired. Um, they're probably not going to get in the top six now. But say if I said to a QPR fan at the start of the season, you're not going to finish in the top six, it's not an underachievement. It's not. And it might feel like that because they've been in the playoffs. And we had we had some mixed reaction to, to the news last night. Some saying, I dare say, some of the younger demographic saying that he needs to go and the style of football is not good. I understand it's been quite turgid recently at, at uh, the Cayenne Prince, but I think some of the more experienced heads in the uh, in the fan base and perhaps some of those that have got a bit more of a long longer memory in terms of where they've come from said it would be a, a shocking decision to get rid of him, and I agree with that. I think, as Alex said from our generation who we spoke to last week, they've got lots of sellable assets. They can sell a few of those if they've got to. Rebuild and back your man. He's done so well to get them into this position. He's had very little budget to to work with. He's worked on a shoestring, if we're being honest. And he deserves another chance to rebuild this squad, invest some of that money back into the team. And he's done so well to build the squad he's got on a limited budget. I think that it would be a pretty short-sighted decision for QPR. And also, who else are they going to get? Because I saw a few people were commenting on our post that were saying, uh, they need to be ambitious because these players will leave otherwise. I don't know who else QPR are going to attract with a better track record and a better fit for the football club that hasn't got a lot of money. It's not like you're going to use a big budget to attract someone. You know, they've got sellable assets. Dieng, Dickey, Chair, Willock, Lyndon Dykes potentially as well. They've got players they can sell if they need to sell one or two. And then go again. It's what Brentford did for years. And look at where they are now after winning 4-1 at Stamford Bridge yesterday. So... I think it would be a pretty ridiculous decision to sack Mark Warburton. That hasn't happened. It was just a strong report from, obviously, a national newspaper with decent sources. So I think we can certainly take something from that. But for me, I, I think it would be an absolutely ridiculous decision to get rid of Mark Warburton. I totally agree. Totally, totally agree. And QPR fans probably going to start shouting at us, saying that you don't watch QPR every week. You don't know what you're talking about. Admittedly, I don't. I don't watch QPR every week. I've not seen every single minute that they've played this season, and certainly in the last few weeks, we only go off at highlights packages that we see on the TV. But yeah, the form has dropped off, and it, it is potentially going to be, be very costly in what they hope to achieve this season. Say, obviously, considering they were riding high in third place in January and February, yeah, there's, there's been a setback. But in the long term, and looking at the, the grand scheme of things how far they've come under Mark Warburton, considering at the beginning of last season, 
myself and you tip them to be relegated, I think is testament to just how well he's done. He's lost key players in, say, Samuel and, and Ereche Eze in the last couple of years. He's faced a fair amount of issues there and other things like that. But overall, he's done a he's done a very, very good job at QPR and he's a very, very good manager. And what manager doesn't experience a bad patch? Please tell me, because what manager doesn't? I'm, I mean, a prime example is going up into the Premier League. Look at the state Arsenal were in at the start of the season. Mikel Arteta, they stuck by him and now he looks a good bet to get them the final Champions League place. Every manager experiences a bad patch. And I go back to that question you raised. Who do they turn to? That is a that is a good question because I can't think of anybody that is better out there at the minute that is available that would say, come in now, tomorrow, and get QPR somehow going and into that top six by the first weekend in May. I, I think there, there would be anybody. some argument that if they bring in someone in, they might get a bounce enough to get in the playoffs this season. But Maybe. I don't think they will now. I think they're too but, far behind. And I don't want QPR to start becoming that team that's chasing the top six again because that's what led them down the garden path into financial ruins. They've got yeah. to stick with the long-term vision, which was what, what Mark Warburton's doing. A lot of a lot of football fans, as we know, um, we're all guilty of it at some stage. are very quick to jump on the bandwagon saying, you need to do this, get him out, get anybody but him in. We've seen at many, many, many clubs, it doesn't have that effect half of the time. Just stick with what you've got. Yeah, things are a little bit bumpy at the minute. It's like Manchester United, for example. They sacked Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Are you trying to? Are you trying to? Are you trying to compare QPR to every other Premier League side possible? You, you know what I mean. I'm just making it making an example in the grand scheme of things of football. Man United fans hounded Solskjaer out. Have things got any better when they got rid of him? No. In fact, if anything, they've got worse. And I watch them every single week. And against Leicester at the weekend, it was horrendous. I can't lie; it was awful. So it just proves that it is not always in the best interest to change just because a change needs to be made. Mark Warburton, overall, has done a very, very good job at Loftus Road. I think he deserves a huge amount of respect for what he's done. Yeah, they're experiencing a difficult patch this season at the moment. It's unfortunate that it's happened at this stage of the season. But long term, I think he's the best man for the job. Yeah, it's unlikely now they're going to get the top six. But if they stick with him, who, who knows what next season could bring? Who knows? The flip side of this, of course, is Fulham cantering towards the league title. Uh, Mitrovic ending a, a barren spell of two games in front of goal with a brace. <laughs> They're 14 points clear of third now and, and with two games in hand on Huddersfield as well. So they should, they, they should be promoted in They're April. As, as boldly as I've relegated Peterborough, I'm going to promote Fulham with the league title as well as my God-given Oof. gift. So is it this the point where we congratulate Peter on staying up and Fulham finishing third and ending into the playoffs? No, because that's not going to happen because they're very bad and but Fulham are very good. This is your track good. record we're talking about. I'm fine. Uh, but yeah, Fulham, in fairness, we, I don't know how much we'll talk about Fulham between now and the end of the season. Probably not a great deal until they get actually promoted because it's difficult to, to come up with new things to say every week. Mitrovic scores a lot of goals. They're a very good team. And once they're promoted and win the title, we'll probably give them a, a bit better send-off and a bit of credit. But they're just beating everyone at the minute. It's, good, it's not possible. it's not great audio content, is it, to keep repeating ourselves. So, great no. win for them once again, and they're going to be in the Premier League next season. Another team probably destined for the Premier League is Bournemouth, and they beat Bristol City 3-2. Another game where the, the Cherries didn't look imperious, you know, as we've just said with Fulham. They're beating everyone in sight. Bournemouth's performance levels fluctuate so rapidly since the turn of the year. Um, I actually think Forest have probably been better than Bournemouth this calendar year, but obviously the, the points... They're not going to make them those up by any means. 
And as good as they were at Huddersfield, not as convincing against Bristol City, although they did rack up a, a quite a large expected goals tally. Um, I don't know why Gary Cahill's not playing anymore. You know, they put Nat Phillips in alongside Lloyd Kelly and I don't think they've been as good defensively. They conceded more goals and I just don't quite get that one. Um, but I'm not Scott Parker, so fair enough. But um, yeah, that's just something for me where it doesn't quite make sense. In fairness to Bournemouth, it's just the points that matter right now. And it's another game for Bristol City where they've scored twice away from home and got nothing. So that pretty much sums up their season. Defensively, they've been pretty atrocious. But going forward, certainly since November time, since Semenya really kicked in, they've been brilliant. I would say Dembele's goal was the best of the three. And it, it must be quite exhausting as a defender. You know, your your Jada Silva or Cameron Pringu were playing at wing-back at the weekend. You've dealt with Jaden Anthony running at you for... 70 minutes and oh look here comes Siriki Dembele and that's just uh, uh, an insight into what championship defences are having to deal with when teams like Fulham and Bournemouth boast squads with the quality and depth that they do yeah it's just a case of what you can do isn't it when you when you're equipped with them parachute payments that it's not having a pop at those clubs it's not their fault that they get they get rewarded with those and to be fair they've, they've fully made full advantage of them and why wouldn't you so yeah, Bournemouth, are, they're ticking along nicely. Obviously, a big win against Huddersfield prior to the international break, and they had to dig in deep quite for this one. But judging by a lot of reports that I read, that they, they played really well, actually. So the 3 2 scoreline was perhaps a little bit flattering on Bristol City. So I think for Bournemouth now, they look in a very strong position to get that second spot. Obviously, they've got games in hand on Huddersfield. I think they've got superior quality compared to the Terriers, and I don't mean that with any disrespect. But, I mean, when you've got a player like Dominic Solanke doing what he's doing at the minute, he's a red-hot form at the minute. Four in four, I think it is for him now. I think it's something like 11 goal contributions in 10 games. He really is finding his feet again at just the right time. And like you said, when you can bring someone of Dembele's quality off the bench, it shows what you've got. And Scott Parker is blessed with a very good squad. And after a few little iffy patches just after Christmas and at the start of the year, they, they seem to have found their feet again and are challenging. So, for Bournemouth, for me... Just got to keep going, keep taking it one game at a time, but they look a good bet to be joining Fulham and going up. They certainly do. Um, Friday night game was Hull nil, Huddersfield Town 1, and a massive win for the Terriers. I was on the uh, Who uh, and He Takes That Chance podcast earlier this week with uh, with the guys over there and saying about, as I said on this podcast, actually how big a game this was in my eyes because of the games coming up for Huddersfield. and It was a game they fully deserved to win. Nearly robbed by Jeremy Simpson, who had you know two shocking decisions. I have to say, I don't. We're not particularly keen on absolutely lambasting referees on this podcast, but two awful refereeing decisions. First, just a, a blatant handball by uh, by Greaves, where he's tried to head the ball out and it's come off his arm and gone for a corner. Nothing given. The second one is even worse for me because Fraser Campbell just gets fouled. He gives the foul. It's quite obviously in the penalty area, and it gives a free kick on the edge of the area. I was, I looked up, I saw it, and I was like, "Oh, he's giving a penalty." I looked back at my laptop, looked back up, and it was a free kick. I was like, "What's going on there?" Looked at the replay, quite obviously is in the area. Don't know how he's done that. So two stonewall penalties for Huddersfield that should have been given. This game obviously turned on a red card just before half time. No complaints for Tom Eaves. Two very daft challenges, particularly the second one when you're on a yellow card, just upending the uh, the Huddersfield Town attacker. Daft tackles, red card deserved, and they were up against it, Hull, from that point. Hull will say that they were dogged and, and resolute and nearly found a way. I would say they were lucky to hold on till 78 minutes because they should have conceded two penalties 
Um, Toffolo eventually making that advantage count in the 78th minute and Huddersfield quite easily saw it out from there. So big win, as I say, a clean sheet, gets them back to winning ways after three without victory before the international break, sets them up very nicely for games at Luton against QPR and Middlesbrough. And I think the mentality going into this game is going to be into this run of games, I should say, will be miles better as a result of this result, which they absolutely deserve. Because if they played over 45 minutes against 10 men, bit of injustice with the red card, uh, with the penalty decisions, you could see how that the nerves would creep in, the frustrations would creep in going into these big games. But they got the victory, they deserved the victory, and it sets them up very nicely for this uh, triple header. Yeah, totally agree. And I think we are now at the point in the season, aren't we, where it is just a case of get three points in the pocket onto the next one. It doesn't matter how you get them, whether it comes in a 5-0 thrash, in a 1-0 win off somebody's backside. It doesn't matter. But Huddersfield fully deserved the win. I watched the game its entirety on Friday evening. Thought Huddersfield were the better side. Thought they looked good. Thought they looked quite sharp at times. And when Harry Toffolo eventually bundled it in, it was it was exactly what they deserved. Like you said, they should have had a blatant penalty in the second half. No doubt about that. It was in the box. So, justice prevailed in the end. But I think for Carlos Corbran, he'll be pleased with that response, considering obviously they had a bit of a bit of a bumpy ride into the international break. And they obviously had that mental few minutes at West Brom where it just completely destroyed what they'd built up. They were brilliant that night. Obviously, then they lost at Millwall and then got thumped by Bournemouth. And everybody kind of thought, oh, the, the, the run is coming where Huddersfield are going to fall away. And all of a sudden, now they're up to third again. It's just absolutely crackers. But Huddersfield, like you say, got a big, big period coming up now. But three of the next four are at home. So they've got to make that advantage count. And the game with Luton a week on Monday night, is absolutely enormous. That really is. What a game that promises to be. And then obviously QPR on Good Friday at home as well. So they've got a big couple of home games coming up, then go to Borough, then Barnsley at home. So they've, they've got, they're playing teams that have all got something to fight for. And that's where the challenge is going to come for Huddersfield. It's going to be a really competitive, really action-packed. But if they want to get in there, they've got to stand up to these challenges. So it's going to be interesting to see what happened. Yeah, I just genuinely think for Huddersfield, at the minute, it is just genuinely 50% chance they get in, 50% chance they don't. I think it is that tight. It could go either way. But whatever happens, whether they finish third, seventh, whatever, they've had a brilliant season. Can't be denied. Yeah, that's exactly what I, I said on, on the podcast, as I say, on the uh, on the t- Andy Takes That Chance podcast earlier this week, that you know if they finish in the top 10, the fact they're in the top 10, it did. It really doesn't matter. It'll be disappointing, as we said, obviously, because they've been in the top six for a large portion of the season. But Huddersfield, this is a, this is a massive overachievement. Did it without Danny Ward, of course, as well, which is worth mentioning. Their top scorer and Jonathan Hogg as well. He was They were both unavailable due to illness. Um, they should be back for Luton next week in what is going to be a massive game on Monday night. Stoke won Sheffield United nil. This was not a classic. A very low-quality game. One Sheffield United... Yeah, oh, very funny. Jeremy Simpson getting smashed in. Not Jeremy Simpson, sorry. I can't remember what the ref was called. Uh, he got smashed in the face by the ball. That was probably the highlight of the game. Uh, very low quality. Sheffield United, lots of attacking talent missing. Billy Sharp not fit enough after a hamstring injury before the international break. Wasn't risked. Ollie McBurney the same. Brewster and McGoldrick looked like they're done for the season as well. So Daniel Jebison started up front with Morgan Gibbs-White, who's not a striker really, so... No surprise that Sheffield United was struggling and it does feel like injuries are going to be the thing that could hold them back. They need Sharp back because Morgan Gibbs-White and Billy Sharp have combined for 37 
of their 52 goals this season. They've got to keep that pair fit and playing together if they're going to get in the playoffs. But this should have finished nil-nil, really. Bit of bit of misfortune from a United point of view that uh, Josh Tynan's cross hits John Egan and goes in at the near post. But they're going to have to bounce back from setbacks like this. They're going to have to find ways to score goals that isn't just uh, Gibbs White and Sharp combining. Sander Burgess chipped in with some goals recently, but they're going to need some from uh, from the defenders. Still waiting for Chris Basham to come back as well. So they're, they're just a bit misshapen at the minute, United, and they're not producing their best football as a result. The side doesn't look quite balanced to me right now, but we know that if they can get these players back and they can stay in and around it, I would still fancy them to finish in the top six. It's really becoming challenging for me to make a, make a decision on United because... About three or four weeks ago, I was settled on them as being like the, the most certain side to get into these playoff places. And all of a sudden, my mind is just wavering a little bit where I'm not... not I think I said that. But, after, I think it was after the Barnsley when I but, said they were the most likely team, in my opinion, to get But there. the thing that is like kind of encouraging me to think that they will get into those playoff places is the fact that I think it's five of their last seven are at home. And they've been incredibly strong at home under Paul Heckingbottom. So that could be United's saving grace. Whereas you look at their last four games, they've won one of that last four. That was at home to Barnsley. And the other three were away from home, where they've only scored one goal in three games away from home. So the fact that United have got five games to come at Bramall Lane really ought to be their driving force to think that they can get into the top six. And when you look at those fixtures, they've got to come at Bramall Lane. They've got QPR... Uh, on Tuesday night as we record on Sunday. So if you're listening to this later in the week, obviously that game will have been played. Then they've got Bournemouth at the weekend. Massive game, that one. That'll be a tough one. Then they've got Reading, obviously are still fighting for their lives. Cardiff, who are pretty much on the beach. And then they've got Fulham, who on the final day, by which point you would think Fulham have probably got the title sewn up. So they've got a mixed bag, but they've been very, very good at home, let's be honest. And they've not conceded many goals at Bramall Lane as well. So for me, I think the home form could be what gets them over the line. But... Like you said, the injuries are going to play a factor. If they can get a few bodies back over the next couple of weeks, then uh, that could be key. But I think the home form could be uh, could be what does it for United. So I think it's win the home games or bust, really, because the away form has, has been patchy in recent weeks, to say the very least. I don't think they've won away from home, now come to think of it, since the 4th of February when they won at Birmingham. So... Yeah, you're absolutely right. Slight concern for Sheffield United. Um, in fairness to Stoke, they've shown a little bit of backbone in their last two games, a bit more Stoke-like performances, or results, should I say, probably, rather than performances. Two home wins to nil, uh, more like what we expect from them. And we've, we've said many times they need a good end to the season, despite having very little to play for, they need a good end to the season. And beating Millwall and Sheffield United at home is certainly the right way about going about that. So big wins for, for Michael O'Neill's side. Cardiff City nil, Swansea City 4. Now, before everyone kicks off and says, why isn't this at the top of the show? This is a massive result. I'm going to go in fair depth on it. But with very little to play for between these two sides, we are going to prioritise the teams that are obviously fighting for uh, fighting for places and fighting for promotion and relegation. So this has been knocked down a little bit because this probably would have been top of the running order had this been in October. Massive result for Swansea City, of course, in the South Wales derby. It's the first time in 110 years that the double has been done by either side in this derby. So real, real bragging rights for Swansea, not only to win 4-0 on the patch of their rivals, but to break that record and, well, make history, essentially. And 
There were some lovely goals in this game as well, especially Obafemi's second, which was the fourth. He's been really good for them since the turn of the year. He scored eight goals in his last 11 games after one win in 14. Bit of a curious case, really, Obafemi, because it seems that he had a few attitude problems. Russell Martin's spoken quite openly about his development and how I think he didn't take criticism very well. I think that was one of the things he sort of said. And obviously with Russell Martin, he's very specific about what he wants from his strikers, what he wants from um, his attacking players and his midfield players in particular. And now he's up to speed. He's exactly what Swansea City have missed because with Joel Perot, we know he scored a lot of goals in the first half season, but they tended to be spectacular. They tended to be outside the area. I think Swansea, up until Christmas, had the lowest amount of shots inside the box of any team in the championship. So to get a six-yard box striker that's already at the club, up and running, has been really good. And that's meant Perot's played a little bit deeper at times. So him and Patterson have sort of played in that split number 10 role in the three-at-the-back system. Um, and they've got the Obafemi, who's got all the characteristics to score goals in the championship. He's quick. He's got good physical uh, physical attributes. He can run the channels. But then you've got neat players that can, A, shoot from range if a team's playing a low block, and B, can feed him with good quality. And the fourth goal, really like that. Lovely team goal. Worked into his uh, path from about 12 yards, uh, 15 yards out, and he lashes it into the top corner. Brilliant performance from Swansea. Lifts them above Cardiff as well by five points. Bit uncharacteristic for Steve Morrison's Cardiff to have you know, failed so badly in this game, but they were second best for most of the game. Massive win for Swansea, and they will have had a very happy weekend. They certainly will. Bragging rights indeed. And that stat about no no, no side ever having done the double in that league fixture is unbelievable. It really is. The history between those two, that's never happened before. But Swansea, terrific. Absolutely terrific. Like you say, Cardiff kind of rolled over very, very early and just didn't have anything about them. But Swansea... They were excellent, they really were. And Michael Obafemi, out of nowhere, he's suddenly become this goal-scoring sensation. It's quite remarkable, really, how his form has just taken off in recent weeks. Six goals in six games now, and that's three braces as well, and he's got an assist in that time. And like you say, it seems all of a sudden Swansea have, have found somebody to ease the pressure on Joel Pirro. And Obafemi is, is a bit of a strange one, because I think the talent's always been there with him. It's just been awaiting that breakthrough moment for him to come to the fore and do it regularly at this level. And Obviously, now it's arrived and Swansea at the minute are beginning to turn a screw slowly but surely. And I think Swansea, with a good with a good summer of recruitment, could really kick on next season under Russell Martin. And I said at the time when he got the job that it was going to take time for them to adapt to, to him and it was going to be quite a lengthy process, similar to when Carlos Corbran went in at Huddersfield because there was going to be such a specific, strict style of play that Swansea were going to have to adjust to under after what he'd done at MK Dons. And... In the second half of this season, even there's been a few iffy results, like obviously the battering at Sheffield United, the hammering at home to Fulham. Overall, there's, there's been some good bits in there for Swansea. And they're three games unbeaten now. They've got back-to-back clean sheets. So there's signs that they are looking to end the season pretty strong and build up for next season because I think they can really kick on. But that performance on, on Saturday was just... It was just first class, wasn't it? They they went there with such a game plan and Cardiff just didn't have an answer for them. It was an emphatic away win. And Russell Martin, I mean, he, he twice now he's got his tactics to perfection in arguably Swansea's biggest game of the season, isn't it? When they've had nothing to play for this year, obviously. Your arch rivals, you've not got promotional relegation to think about. It is your cup final and what you want to impress in. And he's done the double on it, winning an aggregate of seven goals to nil. So he's got that right to earn a few, earn a few brownie points, shall we say. So... 
good positive strides being made at Swansea and looking forward to see how they finish the finish the season because I think next season they could potentially make that next big leap to, to where they want to be. So going in the right direction uh, and things looking up and, and what a victory for them. Yeah, absolutely. Really good result for the Swans and one that I'm sure will go down uh, very well in the offices on Monday morning. Derby won at Preston North End nil. Red card a piece in this one, but Derby definitely the best side. Comfortably created the best chances. 2.5 XG in the 90 minutes, including Ravel Morris's acrobatic winner. A little scissor kick from close range. Derby, George, have got the fifth best home record in the championship. 22nd for away form. So we know where all their points have come from this season. They've got to win. They're, well, they've got Fulham, Bristol City and Cardiff to come. Bristol City and Cardiff, definitely winnable games at home. Fulham, obviously, much trickier. And Fulham's the first one up. We'd like if, if you could rearrange and Fulham be the last one where they'll have nothing to play for, then that would be much better. But they've got to win probably all of them and get something away from home. There's six points adrift of safety. It's not quite over, but it's going to be a, a monumental effort. They've got to change that away form because even if they won, if they took nine points... From those three games, I don't think it'll be enough to keep them up. So they've got to, and I don't think they'll beat Fulham. So they've got to beat Bristol City and Cardiff and got to probably get two. They've probably got to win four of the last six. Get 10 points, maybe. 10 points, maybe. Um, So maybe four points from the last three away games. Six points from the home games, if they're going to stay up. It's going to be tight. I really do think it is going to be tight. And obviously, they were helped with Barnsley and Reading drawing. That went in, in their way. That was the kind of best result they could have hoped for in that one. So they're certainly not out of it yet. Not by any stretch of the imagination. The dream isn't over. Yeah, the away form, they've got to find a way to get some points away between now and the end of the season. I wouldn't rule them out beating Fulham. I really wouldn't. They got a point at Craven Cottage during the season, so it's not beyond the bounds of, of, of possibility. But like you say, the odds are stacked against them and it is looking difficult, but Whilst there's still a mathematical chance, they're gonna they're gonna try and push for it, and why would they not? And you will have seen the tweet that we put out on the podcast page last week about the four contenders, maybe for manager of the season. Wayne Rooney was included on the list. We took quite a bit of quite a bit of hammer for that. Shall no, we say? you did. I'm not. I'm not involved in that. It's a joint effort. We work together. But tweet. no, let's be let's be honest. The logic of it is the fact that. Derby were obviously in a mess, a real mess at the start of the season where the squad obviously was threadbare. Wayne Rooney's had to put up with problem after problem on a daily basis. The fact that he's still got them in a position where they could still stay up deserves a huge amount of recognition. Even if they go down, Wayne Rooney has done a good job in the circumstances. That cannot be denied by anybody. The fact that they're still in it with all what they've had to put up with and are still having to put up with now, the fact that there might not even be a club in said amount of weeks is remarkable that these players are still finding the energy and the effort to get up and, and get the job done. And they deserve the win over Preston, I thought. thought they were the better side. Brilliant goal for Ravel Morrison to win it as well. He's shown flashes of his quality in recent weeks of what he's capable of, of what he proved when he was coming through at Manchester United all them years ago, the player that we all thought he was going to be. So they're still in with a chance. Yeah, it looks slim. It's it's not certainly a case where the ball's in their court. I still think it is going to be a toss-up between Reading and Barnsley. But they're not out of it yet. They're still in with a chance. And as long as that continues, Wayne Rooney, you know damn well, will continue to fight. But they've got to find a way to get some points away from home. They have to. Yeah, Ryan Lowe admitted that 
that Derby wanted it more at the end of the game, particularly, and that's something he, he, he's not going to stand for, and neither is he going to allow their season just to peter out. They definitely want some momentum. I feel like there's a lot of Preston players. That squad could look really different in the summer. I think Lowe's going to definitely wield the axe and get the players he wants in. Um, they don't have to spend fortunes. We know they don't have fortunes to spend, but I feel Ryan Lowe's someone that will make big changes to that Preston offense squad. So with six games to go, there's a lot of players still playing for their future. There, He's definitely going to be testing the character of some of these players in the next six weeks. So they want some momentum to go in to with next season. And then finally, Birmingham won West Brom nil, which was Sunday's match. Pretty poor game as well. Up there with the Stoke Chef United one, but a win for Birmingham. Fairly blatant handball by Connor Townsend. I don't think anyone would dispute that, which which Lyle Taylor dispatched. Taylor's been very important, to be fair, in, in all their wins since January. He's been a great addition on loan from Nottingham Forest. Andy Carroll had a decent-ish headed chance, but as I say, another low margin affair between two sides that if you could end the season now, I think they would both quite be happy with that and, and go again next season. I don't know what's gone wrong with West Brom. I can't put my finger on why they're so poor so consistently this year. Lack of cre- creativity or any sort of flair in the team. Daryl DK looks like he's done for the summer, so we're not going to see him. That was £10 million well spent. Big rebuild's <laughs> going to happen in the summer. It's just really hard to pinpoint where it's gone so horribly wrong. Well, we know obviously they're yeah. not scoring enough goals. I don't know why particularly, um, but weird, there's yeah. there's going to be a big inquest in the summer and Steve Bruce is going to have a, a job of working out what the issue is and trying to rectify that for next season. Yeah, there's, there's big problems there at West Brom. And, and the problem is, I think, obviously there's players on very big wages there that I think are still contracted beyond the summer. So a big change in, in tact of personnel might not be as easy as, it, it, as you think it would be at first thought. So it's going to be a big one for West Brom and you can't just point, point the blame at Steve Bruce. And obviously everybody's got this vendetta against Steve Bruce for some reason ever since he went to Newcastle and things have happened. But beside that, this run and set in long before Steve Bruce came in. Yeah, he's not had the desired impact that he would have hoped for. But the weird thing is against Fulham just prior to the international break, I, saw, I read reviews that it was their best performance all season. They were, they were terrific. So, who knows? It's a really strange one with West Brom, but they're a team now where I think they've got to get to the summer and just try and do what they can. The playoffs, obviously, very, very unlikely now. Eight points adrift. Well, they're not unlikely. It's just, it's just not happening, is it? Well, is it mathematically not yet impossible, but I think it's dead in the water. Get off now, the fence, so. George. They're not going to finish in the playoffs, are they? You know what I'm like? I'm, I'm factual. I'm factual. I've said Exciting. it's unlikely, but it's not impossible. Nothing's impossible. Do you know what? I'm going to strike for a third time. Peterborough going down, Fulham are going up, West Brom won't get in the playoffs. There you go. Three bold, bold, bold predictions from me. Fair enough. I'll let you have them. I might see what I can bring to the show next week then for my bold prediction. I might even deliver a certainty on who's going up via the playoffs. No, if anybody's that, actually that, feeling that, brave that, enough to even attempt that. That would be very ridiculous given how tight it is. Um, there was a couple of draws in the Championship. Two big games, to be fair. Um, two very entertaining games as well. Barnsley won at Reading, one massive game at the bottom of the table that Barnsley just so very nearly got uh, all three Again. points from. This. I thought Reading should have had an early penalty in this one. I thought Zhao just gets completely legged over in the penalty area and nothing given. That was a penalty. Um, lovely finish by Carlton Morris after the penalty appeal goes up the other end. But Josh Laurent coming up with another clutch goal for Reading, as he did against Blackburn before the international break. Massive point for Reading just to keep the gap between them and Barnsley at five points going into the final sort of six games of the season. And then 
Coventry 2, Blackburn Rovers 2. Probably the most entertaining game of the weekend, perhaps. A mad game. Very unfortunate if... if I've, I've written in my notes slightly comical, very comical own goal from Harry Pickering. I love own goals like that. They just I just find them really amusing. Uh, the double change at half-time from, from Tony Mowbray made a big difference. Brought Brereton Diaz back on, back from injury. Um, brought Bradley Dak on. He scored with his first touch after a few seconds. And then Scott Wharton powered in a huge, superb header. Real real centre-half header that one. It thumped it into the opposite corner. But then, as we all know, Coventry and uh, stoppage time is a better love story than Twilight and uh, Gokarez in the 99th minute breaking Blackburn Rovers' hearts. It's the best duo in the championship this season, that. Coventry and the fourth official, I mean, what a double act. But it's unbelievable, isn't it? I think it's now 11 or 10 or 11 times beyond the 90th minute. Yeah, crazy. 99th minute for Gokarez <laughs> to break the hearts of Tony it Mowbray. Really is crazy. That would have been a huge win for Blackburn as well. And they're still in sixth, but they played the most games and certainly aren't um, you the third most likely team, fourth most likely team to finish Coventry in the playoffs. somehow snuck into the playoffs and you were 1-0 up against Coventry in the playoff final and they were like six minutes of added time, you really would. Be you just boot the ball in your own net just to save yourself <laughs> the heartbreak. But Coventry, again, Coventry will not finish in the playoffs, unfortunately. They've had a brilliant season. Oh, did you it. just say they won't? I doubt it. No, do you saying you doubt it or they won't? I doubt it. It's oh, still okay. mathematically you possible. Nearly, you nearly had an opinion then, George. The fact that the game's in hand of, say, Forest above the Middlesbrough. Too much traffic. Yeah. It is too much traffic in what is a, a massively congested race. I think if you were to be... If I was to say a point where it is over for them, I personally would not go any any like any lower than probably ninth or 10th now. I don't think you can discount QPR. No, I, I'm QPR. I'm cutting it at QPR. I think Luton and Millwall are done. Uh, Luton not Luton. Not Luton. Luton, Coventry. Coventry <laughs> and Millwall. Coventry and Millwall, not Luton. It's because Luton obviously played Millwall. That's why I said that. That, that is it. We'll let you off. No, um, yeah, Coventry and uh, and that. And then obviously the game that I was just about to come on that was clearly stuck in my head. Luton, Luton two, Millwall. Luton two, Millwall two was the next on my list. Um, yeah, this one not doing anyone really any favors. Certainly not Millwall. It's probably a game Millwall had to win, and given they led until, well, they led until an eighty seventh minute equaliser, they'll be disappointed. Two really nice goals from a Millwall point of view, and if they could have kept Benikafobi and Tom Bradshaw fit all season, that would have, I think, made a big difference with Jeb Wallace as well, because Bradshaw scored six and eight, albeit there was a big injury injury between. Uh, the goal at the weekend and his previous goals. Benikafobi's looked sharp and back to his best, certainly since the turn of the year. Lovely goal he scored against Huddersfield. Nice finish um, against Luton this weekend. But uh, Adebayo scored a very good team goal and then uh, a comical own goal from Jake Cooper. Not quite as comical as the Harry Pickeringo goal, but a nice header into his own net to round off the weekend. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Going to finish off this weekend's podcast now with our shocks and bankers. There are eight games in midweek, but as always, we're going to look ahead to the following weekend's match day. George, what have you got for me? Well, for the banker this weekend, I've I was a toss up between two, but I'm going to go for Middlesbrough to beat Hull. Obviously, both sides are opposite ends of the table. Borough being absolutely outstanding at home in recent weeks, good form to bring into it. So I'm going to go for Borough as my banker. As a shock this weekend, I'm going, to, I'm going to go bold. I'm going to go brave. I'm going to go for Barnsley to win at Millwall. Got a feeling that Barnsley might just might just turn the screw. You know what they're like when Barnsley get going towards the end of a season. Form's not been bad in recent weeks, even though they'll be disappointed with the points they've dropped at home to obviously Stoke, Fulham and Reading recently. But 
Barnsley are certainly showing signs of life and improvement, so going for them as a shock at Millwall this weekend. Uh, I'm going to match you with Borough to beat Hull. That's my banker as well. But my shock is Stoke to win at West Brom, who are fairly turgid at the minute. And Stoke maybe on a bit of a bit of an upturn. I mean, it's yeah, they've been it up a little bit, aren't they? little bit. Two home wins. Let's see how they do away from home. But I'm going for Stoke to win at West Brom and Borough to beat Hull. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. If you do enjoy the podcast, please make sure you subscribe in your usual podcast app. And make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Sharing the podcast helps go a long way to helping us reach new listeners. So if you do enjoy our weekly breakdowns, please do drop a retweet when the episodes go live. You can support this podcast with our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. The link to donate is in the podcast description if you do feel so inclined. Have a great week and we'll catch you next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.